Hello and welcome to the Core Perform Corner, where registered dietitians and personal trainers teach you how to optimize your gut health, hormones, and fitness. Our team has utilized the trademark and evidence-based Core Perform protocol to transform over 500 lives mentally and physically. Here at Core Perform, we have three core values that are family, communication, and care. So if you are ready, subscribe to join our family, communicate with us through our Facebook group to ask questions, and we'll take care of the rest. Please remember this episode should not be used as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. And now, let's get on to this week's question. Um, back at the Corp Form Corner, um, we're just going to dive right into our questions this week. Uh, first question, what are best and most affordable deli meats without carrageenan? So for those of you who don't know, we talked about carrageenan last week. Um, it is one of the algae-derived gums that can, I, what is it used as a stabilizer? I believe it's a stabilizer in, in, um, in products. And uh, what was it that we looked up? This, the sea moss? The Irish yeah. sea moss. Yeah, the Irish sea moss that everyone's taking that's just as bad for you as carrageenan or carrageenan. That's going to be, we need to, we're going to be, ready, I'm going to be ridiculed for not pronouncing that one right either. Um, in terms of the deli meats, I honestly don't know. I don't really buy many. Do you? Applegate? Applegate. Yeah. It's like the, um, I'm, I'm not a big deli meat, deli meat person to begin. One, I just don't think it tastes as good as like fresh, like roasted turkey or chicken or something like that. But if I do like, like turkey sausages or something, um, for breakfast, Applegate ingredient wise is just like no brainer it's just a lot better it's very um, the, i don't do deli meats either although i do really enjoy them um the thing too is that there's it's not the carrageenan that you need to worry about it's the nitrates and the nitrites and it's not even something that you really need to worry about per se because even the ones like Applegate who say nitrate free, they have celery in it, which creates nitrites or nitrates naturally. So they put in naturally occurring nitrates and nitrates into deli meats. So yeah, I, I hope that that answers the question in a way. Um, do you need to avoid gluten 100% if you have Hashimoto's disease? So when you have one autoimmune disease, I believe it's like your risk of having a second one is 40, 60, maybe you can look up the deets, someone who's at their computer right now. Um, it's sky high. So I would just avoid it um, if I had Hashimoto's just to prevent any sort of risk of it flaring up. How low are macros usually for a contest prep? What about, have you guys had experience with this? How about everyone rattles off their, their contest prep experience? By everyone, I mean you too like lowest calories yeah, you've gotten done, to. Yeah. yeah. Uh, personally, 1600. Damn. What about you? Oh. I think same, to be honest. Well, you've yeah. got crazy metabolism too. Yeah, mine is like really adaptable. So like yeah. I have to go really high and then like weirdly like not too low, I guess. But yeah, it was too quick to have a difference. I mean, I was only in prep for like eight weeks, so I didn't yeah. have time to adjust. <laughs> I went to triple digits. I'm jealous of you guys. Did you oh really? My God. No way. 
Oh my god! Like I, I... before peak week, nine hundred calories. <gasps> oh wow! That is just impressive. a red flag. That is a red yeah. flag. Big red flag. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, remind me. I. <laughs> so Kyler, tell us a little bit more about like what is normal and like when do you know when to back off of that? Okay. So basically, how low are macros usually? Um, it just depends. Single person is different. And it's going to depend on how you are treating your diet outside of prep before you actually enter the cut. So depending on how, like, where you're adapted to before we start the cut, that's going to determine how low we actually have to go for you. There are other variables as well, obviously. But for the most part, let's say I have someone who's adapted to 4,000 calories a day in the off season they're probably not going to have to dip that low or crazy, crazy low. Under the 2000 mark, I feel like that's pretty safe to end up down at least under 2000. Under 1200 absolute minimum at that point, there's usually something wrong internally with them that we're really going to have to restore and repair afterwards. So um, typically if I can keep them up in like, depending on the size of their body and where their metabolism is at, if I can keep them above that 1200, that's what we want. All righty. Um, next question. What does it mean if you have to take a good bit of magnesium in order to go to the bathroom? My first question after that would be Audra. Do you take citrate or do you take glycinate? Um, it depends on what's going on. It sounds like, what does it mean? It sounds like it means that you're constipated or deficient in magnesium. That's what mm -hmm. I would say. <laughs> um, next question. Can you get gluten from kissing? Yes. I mean, you can get gluten from anything, right? If, if you can get H. pylori from kissing, you can definitely get gluten from kissing. It's just the saliva holds the carbohydrate and the proteins and the foods that you eat. So it can be transferred by saliva. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's see, Kyla, rattle off another question. All right, uh, working mom of three here, best tips for hitting macros with such a busy schedule. Uh, Nick, we're gonna have you handle that one. Yeah. Okay, okay. yeah, so uh, basically most of my clients are moms, so uh, <laughs> mom and dad, but uh, the way I kind of set it up for most people is, uh, especially I have a lot of nurses and all that too that don't have time that they're actually prepare a meal or even have a meal. So I really like to utilize um, quick protein powders, um, quick on-the-go snacks like banana. Like if you just do a protein a protein shake with like a banana or an apple, uh, you have to do that once or twice a day. Just to make sure you're getting your macros as you're going along. I recommend that. Um, setting aside, if you can at least try to have one solid meal, let's say per day, and the rest as you're kind of going along. That's what I really like to try to push people. But honestly, it's all depends on what type of schedule you are. Um, most people, you know, they don't know what their day, you know, their schedule is day to day. So trying to fit it in when, when you can is with protein shakes, quick little spike with protein bars, protein shakes, um, jerky. Then it's real simple. You can fill in as you go. What do you? What about you? Guys, Nick, you're super staticky, so I didn't really hear what you were saying to be completely honest. 
Um, I should have interrupted earlier, but I wasn't sure if it was just me. But um, my biggest tips for a busy schedule is to bulk prep everything. Like huge, like honestly, throw, buy a pack of chicken, throw the whole thing in the pressure cooker, air fryer, whatever, put a rice cooker, put a huge thing of rice in the rice cooker and you're done for the week. You literally have your carb, your protein, and all you have to do now is chop up some veggies at every meal. Um, So that would be my, my recommendation. I agree. And it's typically protein that is the hardest for people to get. So as long as you pre-prep that, then you should be good. Yeah, I live with it. I just make, that's why I like baking with protein because like you can just take it on the go and make like a little protein muffin, like easy. You don't have to heat, you don't have to do anything. You just take it on the go. Right. And then core perform next week. If you guys are on the next list. Game time. Can't wait. (laughs) I've been eating it nonstop, which is kind of bad, but... (laughs) Um, so can COVID cause an IBS flare, an IBS C flare? So absolutely. COVID is known to have digestive, um, issues associated with it. So it can definitely cause changes in your bowel movements. The best foods to promote increased motility, Lindsay, are, um, some of the ones that we like to focus on are foods that are higher in fiber, perhaps. Um, the other thing to talk about, I was talking to, Abby today about this is um, switching up the types of fibers in your diet too, because that can be a really big difference. So there are a few types of fibers, right? There's resistant starch, there's pectins, there are uh, insoluble fibers, soluble fibers. All of these different fibers and starches work differentially in the body. So it is definitely possible that you might have too much vegetables. You might have too little vegetables. Um, you might have too much of the soluble, too much of the insoluble. And so the best foods to promote increased motility, I would say is to um, rotate whatever you're eating and trialing that water, making sure you're having enough of it, trialing how much fiber you're intaking, but things like ginger, kiwis, prunes, um, those are the three we really like at Core Perform to help with motility. Any others that I'm missing, you guys? I've had a lot of success with people adding in like a tablespoon or two of chia seeds recently. Yeah, that's a good one. Thing it's just changing up the different types of fiber and allowing for um, your body to have that diversity and yeah. make it better. Yeah, absolutely. I love that one too. My mom actually. So this is a fun fact. <laughs> Sorry, mom. I'm divulging your medical history to the public. <laughs> but, um. She was always was like, Dasha, I cannot do chia seeds. Like they make me go to the bathroom right away. Um, and then we found out recently she has diverticulosis. And I was uh, like, hmm, maybe that's why. Oh <laughs> so if you gosh. have diverticulosis, you have like little pockets where food can and pouches in your stomach where food can get stored. So very common, like seeds will irritate that. Yeah. Um, so Stacey's yeah, whole anyways. family has that. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, chia seeds will definitely make them go if they ever need to. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Yeah, not in a good way, though. But anyway, so those ones will help. Are there tips you have for meal spacing, volume, timing for better motility? This is a great question also. Um, My number one tip is not to overthink those things because all of those kinds of therapies have more to do with um, your specific medical treatment. But if I could blanket state for better motility, anything, it is to have your meals at the exact same time every single day and the exact same, just allow your body to get into a routine with 
when it's eating, how much, whatever. And then from there, it should have better motility because it should know, etc. But when it comes to volume and things like that, again, that all has to do with you individually. And so I don't want to even touch on that for the public. Mm -hmm. How many steps a day should I be getting in you guys? So another one that depends for sure. Um, I hate seeing so many people obsessing over their steps just because it's like, it's so directly correlated to like eating disorders in my opinion. It's just like compensating in another way. Yes, Um, I see that hand in hand too. I feel like the people who struggle most with this are the people who have disordered eating habits. Exactly, Mm -hmm. exactly. So, but the actual answer to it is that it's going to depend on everybody based on what you, where you need your meat to be. So your non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Uh, So basically just you fidgeting, you moving, you walking, all that stuff throughout the day. That's how we burn the most calories throughout the day. And so we use steps in order to control your neat and to either move it up or down as needed. We pull back when someone needs to relieve stress and we increase when we need to increase the stimulus of neat. So um, it's just going to depend on every individual and what they need in that situation. Yeah, agree. I like that because I feel like what you're getting at too is like a good coach will tell you maybe how much you need to. So like for me, for example, I sit a lot, like way too much. So I know that I need steps. If you have like a bodybuilding client who has like, they're, they're a waitress and then they're also getting all their exercise in. They do feel like that person probably needs to go with like 10 K steps in addition to all of that. No, no, no. <laughs> so that's definitely not lifestyle look like I, yeah. I know. I, I like my butt hurts from sitting so much. So I basically steps are the last thing that I'm going to manipulate. Cause if I can keep people from becoming obsessed with tracking their steps, I'm that that's my preferred way to do it. Yeah. Right. I've been seeing I saw a TikTok today, like someone like marching around their kitchen at the end of the day, trying to get, I was like, that sounds kind of disordered to me. Um, that's when that's we just- know it's a problem. When they're walking around the coffee table, that's, that's when we know. Or moving their arms, like, their steps. <laughs> that's just cheating, though. Dude, what if I got on the live today and I was just like, <laughs> trying, to, trying to fake my steps, guys. That should be bad. That's been just about as funny as you drinking water for 15 <laughs> seconds. <so. laughs> All right. Well, the next question is asking about from Billy. I've heard that gut health in some ways relates to serotonin production. If this is true and known, why are we not as a society so quick? Why are we as a society so quick to prescribe treatments that may not work? Is it people just wanting a quick fix or is it multitude of reasons? Uh, This is a multifaceted uh, question here. And so what I would love to start off by just explaining is that serotonin is produced in the gut. 90% of it actually, if not 95 Um, it is produced in the gut. However, the actual amount that is used by the brain is a very different hormone. The serotonin that's made in the gut is mainly used for the actual motility of it and and for neural interaction within the gut and to secrete hormones and to produce muscle contractions and and it's a neuro, remember that serotonin is a neurotransmitter. So what does that mean? It's working with the neurons, which is a function of our musculature system. Um, so yes, it's mainly produced in the gut. 
However, this is more associated with motility issues than has to do with brain issues because the brain, um, the serotonin that makes us happy and is, is known to make us happy, I believe it's only like 5% is actually responsible for that. And that's in the brain. So um, the two do go hand in hand though. So I'm not here to say that the, um, that the two don't influence each other, but um, I think the reason why we're so quick to do prescribed treatment is because if people are depressed, then you, you fix that you, the doctors, that's just how they're trained. <laughs> you go yes. to them, you give them the symptom and they give you the prescription for it. That's just how they're trained. I was going to say insurance companies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In, insert insurance company. And that's why when you go to the doctor and you tell them, Oh, I have, I have XYZ, AKA I'm self telling you that I have IBS because IBS is literally just a culmination of symptoms. When you tell them that they say, okay, great. Try Linzess or Miralax. They don't tell you that, Oh, did you try like drinking more water and fixing your IBS? Like, no, exactly. they didn't tell you about that. And you probably couldn't, you could have stopped yourself from getting on prescription to start with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's just how it works. True. They, they don't give you natural or lifestyle advice. They just prescribe. Yeah. yeah. It was something like mental health. Like you said, so multifaceted. There's a lot of things going on that you could address and like maybe medication for some people, but it doesn't mean it's the only answer. Correct. So. Exactly. And optimizing your gut, just the effect it's going to have on your hormones and neurotransmitters, it's going to help you with that a little bit at least, you know? Right. Yeah. So I pulled up some symptoms of low serotonin. Um, they include memory loss, little or no appetite, unable to focus, anxiety, depression, changes in sleep. Natural ways to boost serotonin are through diet and lifestyle. Eating more tryptophan-rich foods. Although, have you guys heard about that misconception that tryptophan makes you sleepy? When people say, like, turkey makes you sleepy? Always, yeah, because yeah, yeah. Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's not true. I heard that. It's yeah. got to be the carbs, right? Like, I think it's just overeating. <laughs> it's overeating in general, yeah. Yeah, it's overeating in general. Not the turkey. Yeah. <laughs> All the carbs. Mm -hmm. That's why you don't get sleepy from EAAs, because they always have tryptophan in there. <laughs> exactly. Oh, Dasha, I did look up that the risk of someone with an autoimmune disorder getting another one. What is it? 25%. 25? Mm -hmm. There we go. Yeah. One fourth will probably get another one. Yeah. What's Crazy. the, what's, what's the associate? Maybe it's the association of you having to already. Hmm. Uh, look at that statistic too while you're at it. <laughs> says 25 patients will have a tendency to develop additional ones. Mm. Can low testosterone cause depression? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> 100%. That's probably one of the main symptoms that you will notice. Um, just brain fog, just feeling off, things like that. Low T in a, in a male specifically, it's going to really hit them hard. So... But yeah, um, that's it for our questions. I think that's it on our questions. Um, Sherry was asking about glutamate and proline. 
Um, so glutamine is and proline um, both are the reason why she's asking about this is because they are um, the two amino acids that are bound together in a specific form in gluten, which make the gluten protein. So she's asking about it because it has to do with celiacs and the two together. Uh, Drew is asking, there are so many types of salt. Are some better than others or does it depend on your health situation? Like uh, so salt or minerals? Like different types of like pink sea salt versus iodized or are they saying salts? You know what I mean? Okay. You need to say iodine again. That's what he's trying to do. Dog. He's trying to make you say iodide again. Yeah. <laughs> did I say it wrong? I said iodized salt. Yeah, I you did. No, you said it right. Iodized. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, to be completely honest, I looked into this myself. And for the most part, I would say that if you want a healthy functioning thyroid, use some iodized salt. Um, but I'm not going to lie, I'm a huge fan of some really thick, cracked pink Himalayan. Me too. It just Same. tastes better. I don't know yeah. why. Yeah, so I like to actually use, so I kind of, this is how I, I incorporate both into my diet, is that I'll use the cracker, like when <laughs> the cracking <laughs> type salt, when I, when I want to use it on top of like eggs or something in the morning. But when I'm making like pasta and making rice, then I'll put in the iodized salt so that it cooks in with the, the carb that I'm making. If that makes sense. It does. Yeah. Or like chicken and stuff like that. Whenever you're marinating it before you like put it in the air fryer, I rub it with like iodized versus the flaky. Me too. So, yeah. That's how I, I do incorporate both. I like them both. But good call. Alrighty. Any other questions, you guys? We finished kind of early on this one. We can talk about the iron fish thing. Oh, yeah. Go What's ahead. That? Nick and Kyler, have you guys heard about that before? The what? So I have a client who has iron deficiency anemia um, who also has IBD. Um, obviously, like certain types of iron can be not digested very well or like handled or tolerated, I guess is a better word by the stomach. So I was like, hmm, what are some other ways that I can increase her iron? And I like made a post talking with some other dietitians and I forgot like, so you can use like a cast iron skillet while you're cooking to help, um, you know, build up your iron stores that way. But there's actually a product that's like, it's a fish made of iron and you put it in your pot of water when you're like boiling or cooking stuff and it helps release iron. Isn't that to like, be better absorbed with whatever food you're eating. Look Google it. It's an iron fish and you just drop it in your pot and you cook with it. And this is actually like a good option. Yeah. What? It well just like just like she mentioned, like it this is very simply you can just cook in an iron cast skillet. But unfortunately right. you can't boil water in an iron cast skillet. You'd have a very heavy iron cast skillet <laughs> at that point. Like it'd be yes. very heavy. So um, so they made this like iron fish, which is really fun, a fun idea too. That's cool. I didn't realize that. Weird and I cool. Going to see if she wants to try it out. So we'll see. I bet the next question for that is, is it going to constipate me? Ooh. But, yeah. but does it have to be ferric or ferrous or do, can both be constipating? I think ferrous. Well, sorry. 
And we're going to look it up. We're going to look it up. Yeah, I knew the whole thing about using a cast iron skillet can help with, help out with that. I just didn't realize there was something you could also put in boiling water. That's pretty legit. Somebody somebody was um, pretty um, on top of it as far as like patenting something like that. Like, what if we just made something that you could drop? I don't know. I think it's a great Smart. idea. And then you don't have to, like, she was telling me she gets nauseous when she takes iron supplements. And I was like, okay, well, that fixes that problem. Yeah. Also, it's cool. Emily so. or something. <laughs> Drop your fish in there. <laughs> Ferris. Ferris. Okay. Well, I don't know. Ferric is completely. So one is Fe3 and one is Fe2. So they're different forms of it. So I wonder what form of iron it would be from like the from the fish. When yeah, you're... I don't know what the fish is. Couldn't tell you. I will check. Usually iron biglycinate is a good one. Huh. For for it not to be constipating. Somebody was telling me the liquid form of iron. Yeah, liquid. It's like iron. Like the mouth one. The one that you like slurp. Mm-hmm. That one's amazing. Okay. Usually it's prescribed though by oh. the doctor, right? Maybe there's one on Amazon called Flor Floridix, and it's liquid herbal iron. It's iron. It's ferrous gluconate. Yeah, my mom had me take that growing up because she said it was the only like proper form of iron to supplement with. A liquid one, like the... yeah. as opposed yeah. to just popping an iron pill. Yeah, there you there go. You or pumping iron. <laughs> That's the best form. <laughs> that was such a dad joke. Oh. <laughs> it was. It was. It was. It was great. It was good. And, and while we're while we're on the topic of iron and closing out, don't forget that iron is best absorbed with vitamin C. So always take your vitamin C with your iron, or else it won't be absorbed optimally anyway. So it doesn't matter what form you're taking. Oh. Air it up. There we go. Alrighty. Well, with that, we will end this week's live. Thank you guys for joining. And don't forget to join our Facebook group where you can ask all the questions that we go over each week. Be sure to use the link down below in our show notes. And don't forget to get on the VIP list for the protein, which is launching for our VIP list next Tuesday. Woo! So Woo! Yeah. Bye, guys. Bye. Yeah.